Welcome to the Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Feigl. I'll be bringing you the truth about exercise by interviewing fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, as well as fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders. Hopefully you take this info and apply it to have a better, healthier, and happier lifestyle. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fitness Candor Podcast. I am joined today by Tony Gentilcor, and um, as many of you know, I do a lot of, of hashtagging and searching and following of uh, awesome fitness professionals on, you know, you name the platform, it's all over the place, but I came across Tony in, uh, I think via Twitter, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I know he's going to be a great resource for everybody, and a lot of you probably, um, especially if you work with me one-on-one, you've definitely heard me talk about uh, Cressy Performance, uh, spe- especially with uh, shoulder work and rehab and prehab and things like that. So uh, Tony was a, is a co-founder of Cressy Sports Performance, uh, but now he uh, trains mostly the general population. He's been featured in uh, publications like Men's Health, T-Nation, Women's Health, Bodybuilding.com, uh, and places like Stack also. So I know he's going to bring a, a ton of knowledge and a wealth of knowledge, and he's super passionate, which is always a plus. So Tony, thanks for taking time out of your day, man. I really appreciate it. Eric, my pleasure. It's always uh, it's always nice to talk shop with fellow coaches, so yeah, I, I, I look forward to it. Definitely, yeah. I think we're going to have a, a lot to go back and forth about. So um, fill in some gaps. Uh, I know that every coach has their own special story, which we might think is boring, but I like sharing it. With yeah. everybody else, because it's you know the, a coach's life, a trainer's life is kind of uh, filled with a lot of ups and downs. So uh, fill in some gaps for me. Well, back in 1976, my parents had sex, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> right. Uh, I'll, I'll skip that part. Um, uh, you can we'll if see. you want like, to. I, I no no I I yeah I'd rather not <laughs> not right. talk about. It. <laughs> uh, so. You know, like a lot of coaches, I think my background is very similar in that I grew up playing a litany of sports. Yep. Uh, you name a sport, I played it, especially in the era that I grew up where the internet didn't exist and there was no smartphones and there was none of that stuff. So you kind of had to be outside and keep yourself occupied. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of had a, an affinity for all sports, but certainly baseball. Um, played all through high school, had the opportunity to play in college, which was great. Coming from a very small town in central New York, the, not a lot of people ended up, they didn't go to college, but let alone play, in, play a sport in college. So that was obviously a, a big deal for me. Um, unfortunately, uh, there weren't many scouts looking for a, a 6'1 right-handed pitcher who threw 88 miles an hour. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I ended up moving back to New York uh, near my hometown and finished my degree at, at SUNY Cortland and got my degree in health education. Um, and then I always make a joke that I, you know, my degree was in health education, so I did student teaching and I was going to become a health teacher, but I also had a concentration in health wellness promotion. So when I was done with my student teaching, I had to do an internship to fulfill my requirements to get my degree for my concentration. And I ended up getting a, a sweet gig at a, during the summer of 2002 at a corporate fitness center near Syracuse, New York. Okay. Uh, ended up, ended up 
working there for, like I said, the summer, and they immediately hired me, which was cool. So it was either take a, a, a maybe sort of kind of teaching job and have to wear a suit and pants every day, yeah. or or wear sweatpants every day and just make people into like diesel deadlifting terminators. So um, <laughs> it was it was an easy choice <laughs> um, and a seamless transition because I think anyone who's involved with sports and into health and fitness, it's an easy career progression to go into uh, this field, whether it be personal training or strength and conditioning or what have you. So, um, you know, and I started lifting weights when I was 13, like quote unquote, Santa brought me my first uh, weight set when I was 13. And, you know, I obviously used that to, you know, play sports and work my way up in, into the college ranks. So, um, you know, I, I, so basically I've been in the industry since 2002. Okay. And in 2007, uh, myself, Eric Cressy, Pete Dupuy opened up Cressy Sports Performance. So I was there. So basically, I, I worked as a personal trainer for five years, corporate fitness, and then your standard commercial gyms. So think Bally's, right. uh, anything, anything like that. Um, then five years into my career, I moved to Connecticut with Eric. Uh, he and I worked at a, another kind of private commercial gym for a year in Connecticut. And then he and I moved to Boston, where a year after that, uh, we opened up Cressy Sports Performance with Pete. Uh, and I was there from 2007 until 2015. So I was there for eight years. Um, you know, and just it was just time to turn the page. Like a lot of people think there was like this nefarious like falling out between Eric and myself. <laughs> and it certainly wasn't. It was just it was just time to turn the page. I'd been sure. there for eight years. I had just gotten married, and you know, it, 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 the timing was right to kind of venture off onto my own. And and now I, I run a very um, cool studio uh, here in Boston. That's about a mile from my apartment, which works out very well because I was I was commuting forty five minutes both ways for eight years, um, which you know it wasn't it wasn't the worst thing in the world because I listened to a lot of audible books yeah <laughs> so it, it, was, it definitely was didn't suck I, that's how I looked I was like oh I, I, I read an additional 20 books this year because I listened to books in my car um, but you know so yeah I've been doing my own studio for the past year and a half almost wow um, I, in conjunction with running my website and doing various writing gigs and you know traveling around the country and the world presenting which is always an honor um, so it's nice cause I only right now I would say I coach probably 15 to 20 hours a week okay. uh, at the studio in with real people. Uh, and then I, I, I also do distance coaching as well, but I'm not very aggressive with that. Like I try to keep it under a certain number of people and then, and then I also have, you know, my writing and then traveling for speaking and stuff like that. So it's nice cause I, you know, I don't have to be coaching 50, 60 hours a week. Like I did that. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Getting, getting up super early. And, um, so that's kind of like, <laughs> that's kind of what my, my, uh, basically my life is right now. just kind of like a hodgepodge of several of those variables put together. All right, Tony. Well, thanks for coming on, man. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> that, no. that wasn't a long enough rant, right? I talked <laughs> no. about myself for 20 minutes straight. No, that's good. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to circle back to something um, that you mentioned in quotes, something about Santa. Were you saying that Santa's not real? Uh, I, I, I plead the fifth, I guess. Like, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to demolish anyone's dreams or anything, but you know, it was, uh, my parents told me later on that they're the ones that got me the weight set. Oh, so, shit. yes, maybe, sorry. I, I, spoiler alert, everyone. I'm sorry. Maybe your parents did the same for me. <laughs> uh, 
No, um, well, yeah, actually, we have kind of a similar background because um, I before I started even focusing on an actual major, I did. Uh, I was just going to go in for uh, physical education. You know, mm-hmm. just go into to be a teacher, and then I literally had almost the identical epiphany where I thought to myself, "Hold on a second, like, wait, I hated doing homework. Mm-hmm. Why am I going to go back and grade other people's homework?" Plus, credit curriculum and all that. Oh. Like, yeah, it's thank just God a, for teachers. Okay. Did you did you have to do uh, student teaching yourself? No. Okay. Yeah. So my my I had two placements. I did a high school placement and I did a middle school placement, and both were fa- fairly good experiences. Like my high sure. school placement, I enjoyed more because you can actually have more adult conversations with kids who are eleventh grade, twelfth grade, etc. Yeah. Um, and then I did a middle school placement where, where I had to, I had to teach a sex ed course oh, um, to a bunch of thirteen year olds. Oh, great! Uh, That's and not it was I mean it was fine. Like don't get me it was just but yeah you, you kind of get a little flavor for the administrative BS that's involved with being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't really want I had I didn't want any part of that. So um, I was very lucky in that. I, I was early, I had a passion for lifting weights and it just kind of easily transitioned into, you know, doing personal training, which, yeah. you know, looking back, I was like, man, I spent all that money on an, on an education to become a personal trainer. <laughs> like I could have just become a personal trainer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Cause, Cause I think a lot of, and I think many people in our industry are the same way. Like we, we definitely look back at our, our university years and our college years as like the foundation of like what, what, what kind of like molded our philosophies and our insights and what we do. But yes. it really wasn't until after I got out of school where I started reading on my own, uh, T nation and reading more John Berardi. So like early guys like me, so we're talking early 2000s. So I was reading like, you know, Dan, John, John Berardi, Christian yep. Thibodeau, Eric, um, you know, and just kind of really started seeing more of an epiphany of what I learned in school at, at, in contrast to what actually we should have learned. Sure. Yeah. yeah and, uh, so, you know, but, and it, and it still continues, of course, like I think any, any coach or trainer would, uh, be remiss not to continue that. Like, I certainly don't feel like I have all the answers, but, um, but no, it, it was just like, a. It's it's the, it's the best career. Like I I think it's it's the I get paid to get people better and stronger, and I can swear and play techno music. It's amazing. Yeah, it's all. It, yeah, we <laughs> did you mention sweatpants? Because we wear sweatpants. Oh, I wear sweatpants. Yeah, I, I wear it's, sweatpants. Like, it's like it's my own gym. I could I I won't wear pants if I want to. Like right, it's my well, gym. Like no, it's, it's not weird. It's not weird. No, not at all. Come on. <laughs> no, but uh, you know I definitely think the the education part of it is is definitely. For me, I should say it was it was a big change from going like to all right, say especially from going from um, the teacher course and then realizing you know this is something that I really like to do uh, in terms of exercise science. Let's see where else this can take me. And I just had this yeah. conversation last night because there's so many different roads that you can go down. And then I thought I can help other people, you know, do the thing that I love to do and make the and and do it in a better way. Is is kind of what I thought. I was like, this is what I'm gonna drive my education towards. Yeah. So, and, and I I did the whole um, corporate wellness thing, and you know, I think we, our generation, because I'm I'm just a, I'm a few years younger than you, thank God, and I. Um, <laughs> but and I, you have more hair, and you have more hair than me. You're just a better person than me, Eric. Per, I wasn't gonna say it, but <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I I did the whole corporate wellness thing, and I I think 
we kind of missed the boat with that because I think in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, that's when that's when the corporate wellness got its peak, you know? I mean, strength and, and conditioning in gyms really isn't that old of a uh, profession to begin with. No, really and I, I old, feel so. like I was kind of one of those guys because when I was doing it, um, I was definitely the guy when, when people came in before work or during their lunch hour or after work, I literally was the guy like, hey, let's deadlift, let's squat, let's, let's lift weights, like get off the treadmill. Right. Um, you know, like you don't need to be doing more cardio. You're getting plenty of that. Let's go get strong. Um, and I did it for three years and I, you know, I, I look back at that and I, I kind of butted heads with my supervisor a little bit. Um, I mean, I was respectful, but I mean, I remember her saying like, why are you having people deadlift? It's dangerous. And you know, I would roll my eyes and be like, well, I, I coach it well, like I'm not hurting anyone. So, um, and, and the thing about the deadlift too, and it's, it's still an argument that I get on the internet a lot is people think it's dangerous and, but that's only because people like, they automatically assume when I say deadlift that it's a loaded bar, it's a loaded straight bar on the ground and we're lifting as heavy as possible. And that's not what a deadlift is. It's a hip hinge. We're dissociating lumbar movement from, from hip movement. Mm -hmm. And it could be as simple as a pull through. It could be a kettlebell deadlift. It could be a trap bar deadlift. Um, it could just be a regressed hip hinge where you're just using body weight. I mean, it's, it's all that. So, um, you know, and that, you know, and it took me a while to, to, it comes with experience because certainly I, I, as a younger trainer, I can look back and think like, yeah, I'm going to have everyone deadlift and they're going to get strong. And, um, and I still very much am in the same mindset, but also, uh, I understand assessment better. I understand like starting people where they are, uh, you know, and that, and, and, and on, on assessment, I mean, certainly I don't know what your experience was, but we learned nothing about assessment in school. Uh, and it wasn't until after the fact that I kind of had to go down that rabbit hole even further and, and kind of figure out my own, um, uh, what matched my approach to training and, and what I felt was necessary for the, for the clientele that I saw on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And going back to what's safe and what's not safe, anything, putting, even putting somebody on a seated chest press can be unsafe if you're, oh, not, everything. If you're exactly. not doing it properly. So for, yeah. for people to pick like, you know, large movements like the deadlift, I mean, it, you know, a seated row can be dangerous if you, if a person isn't coached properly on it. But and it's uh, funny because like, ironically, a lot of the, the pushback that I get on deadlifts is from an article that I wrote maybe four or five years ago. And the title of the article, ironically, was Deadlifts are the Worst Thing for Your Spine. <laughs> and But that's, but the, the title was from an email that I received from a student who was in a, a exercise physiology class. And the, the, the teacher was saying how much deadlifts were bad for everyone's spine. And that person emailed me. He's like, is this right? Like, this seems a little wrong because I read what you say. I read what Cresty says. I read what Mike Boyle writes about him, Mike Robertson and Brett Contreras. And you what all like deadlifts. Says. Well, yeah, Stuart McGill. Uh, you all like deadlifts. So what is my teacher talking about? So then I contacted Brett and he and I collaborated on this little rebuttal. Um, you know, citing Davis's law and Wolf's law and a lot of Stuart McGill's research on how, you know, deadlifts, when done correctly, with the appropriate progressions and with the appropriate loads right. uh, are very effective for pretty much everyone. And, you know, and it's just still people are like, oh, well, deadlifts and squats are dangerous and it's lifting heavy weight. And again, it's that connotation that they assume that I'm talking about loading it with 90% of one rep max and lifting it. And I'm not, it's, right. it's, 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 it's using the appropriate variation. Yeah. Um, 
elevated stance. I mean, all that's taken into consideration and uh, doing it correctly with the, with the appropriate progressions. And you're, you hit the nail on the head, Eric. It's like any, any exercise has an inherent danger yep. to it. Yep. Um, I mean, a lot of times my pushback on everyone's assertion that a deadlift is, is, is um, dangerous is something that Brett always says, well, being weak is dangerous. I mean, there's more people that blow out their backs picking up a pencil than there are blowing out their backs doing a deadlift correctly. So, um, you know, it, it's all it's all relative in, in perspective. But I just think I don't like absolute statements or black and white statements because the answer is always somewhere in the middle. So I hate it when I read something about X exercise being dangerous or this exercise everyone should be doing because that's that's a red flag for me. Anytime any anytime anyone uses the words everyone never or always yeah those are immediate red flags to me because that they're either trying to sell something or they have a vested interest in a piece of equipment or an yep. exercise or so anytime anytime i see those three words it's an immediate red flag for me yeah i couldn't agree more and to go back to you know what what's dangerous again i probably see more people who are doing body weight squats incorrectly yeah than i do with people who are even doing like a progression right after that, which is a, a front squat with a, like a, a kettlebell, like a goblet squat. Of course, you know yeah, more, more people time. like under load. All, almost you can start to see people correct themselves, or feel very uncomfortable to where they're going to stop before yeah. before before the actual incident occurs where somebody gets injured and you get damaged. So I mean, it's that's how oh, it gets me really aggravated to to when people think like that because again, okay, to take it a step uh, even further back. That instructor, number one, okay. I'm, 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 <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm I, got, gonna, I got you all flustered. I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna this. get ahead of myself because I, I want to go back <laughs> and touch a couple different things. So, so that, I, I that, have my assertions were that that instructor probably never, never did a lot of coaching. Yes, exactly. Um, like he he reads a textbook and says this is what a textbook is telling me, and that's another thing too is, is a textbook. Practical um, application be, wins every exactly. time. Exactly. And it's like, there's no such thing as textbook technique. Never. So, you know, like for instance, when I'm, when I'm coaching a, a squat, for example, a lot of textbooks will tell you that your feet have to be, a, have to be symmetrical at a certain degree of external rotation with the feet and this and that. And honestly, like no one, no two individuals squat the same because everyone's anatomy is different. Their hip structure is different. Their leverages are different. Um, so we can't, we can't automatically assume that what we read in a textbook, even if the information is correct in terms of the biomechanics and the insertions origins, like all that's correct. When you apply it to a real live individual that's standing in front of you that has a certain unique injury history that has a, a unique, uh, um, experience in, in, in even lifting weights, some are, have little experience, some have a lot of experience, but even then some have a lot of experiences moving really shitty. Yeah. So. There's that, and then not to mention goals and all that jargon. So, um, yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I no. You, right you, you, hit, you hit it right on the head because I, I was – then I took a look at my notes here, and I'm like, oh, crap, I wanted to mention this. No, but you're right. I mean it's just like anything else in a classroom setting. Unless the person has gone into the field, has done it for like five to ten years, accrued a certain amount of, of uh, hours and expertise in something, it, more than likely they're just reading it out of a book. And, okay, I, I get where like – you you asked me you know what kind of assessments that we were trained in in school and mm. you know the basic ACSM protocol very clinical yeah. very clinical settings which are fine there's a place and time for those things but those things are structured to save somebody's ass 
<laughs> yeah. You know, that's what it is. It, they're safe. They don't really give you a lot of information. Uh-uh. They don't. Uh, it's it's how very well people baseline. Move, right? So it's, right. Like, yeah, I agree. So, so yeah. So, you know, you hit it right on the head. The, the person saying that those statements, I mean, number one, if it gets brought up in class, they have to, it's like a coverall. Don't do it because of X, Y, and Z. Instead of saying you need to be coached through it by someone who's an expert at it. So, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that there, there are some, teachers out there that had that mindset to, yeah. to, to take impressionable minds and, uh, and lay and, and kind of plant the seed in their head that X exercise is dangerous or you shouldn't be doing this. Or, um, I think that's a disservice, but you know, I, think so too. I mean, I, I wasn't there either, so I can't go like too far off, like on a rant, but, sure. um, the it was pretty like stupid. Yeah. It was pretty stupid. No. So, so actually take us through what does an assessment or, or what does a first workout look like when you have a new yeah. client come into your gym? Take us through that. Yeah. So, you know, with me, uh, and there's no two assessments are the same either. Like, yeah, I have, I have stuff that I like to look at, especially, and even like when I was at Cresty Sports Performance, because we dealt with a lot of baseball players and overhead athletes, that assessment was much more in detail compared to um, my general population clients to come in because none of them are really interested in throwing 95 miles an hour. Um, so it, it's a little bit different. Um, but you know, I have my own biases on, on what I like to look at and I, I'm at a nice point in my career where I can kind of take, I can kind of cherry pick my assessments. Right. So I take a little bit from the FMS. I take a little bit from PRI. I take a little bit from NASM. I take a little bit from assessing correct. Yep. Um, and all those I, over the years, I, I kind of found uh, what gives me the best information to my abilities and what I feel is going to help me write an effective program for that individual. So yeah. um, in my assessment, uh, it, it usually takes me an hour to 90 minutes, but um, that's that's a little bit of poking and prodding. So what I like to call an isolative assessment where I put someone on a, on a, a treatment table and I'm looking at hip range, hip external internal range of motion. I'm looking at hip flexion. I'm doing a basic hip scour, um, which Dr. Stuart McGill talks a lot about, and just trying to figure out, okay, what is what is their bony structure kind of telling me as far as like what's going to be an appropriate uh, foot width during their squats or their deadlifts? How much how much hip flexion do they have passively? How much hip extension do they have? Um, do a kneeling rock back. Uh, look at shoulder flexion uh, passively. Um, all that stuff on a table. Um, but then I also like to get them to stand up too, um, and do kind of the same thing. Like, so I can have them do a squat, um, standing up where they're doing it more actively now. And I can try to match the two to see if what I see standing up matches uh, what I saw on the table or, or if there is a little bit of a red flag that is information. Um, cause it could be a muscular issue. It could be a motor control issue. Um, you know, I think a lot of, we're kind of programmed to think that because someone lacks, range of motion, uh, whether when we're testing them with our hands or, or when we watch them do a movement that they're automatically like immobile or they need to work on mobility or they're tight. Um, but honestly, what I found is just people are very weak and they're unstable, uh, and the nervous system is guarding or, or giving or what we call protective tension. Right. So honestly, if I coach them through that, like get them to fire their core, um, just be a little bit more aware of their bracing pattern, um, get them a little bit more stability. Um, that almost inevitably they, they do have the range of motion. It's just they have a hard time controlling it. And that's sure. why they present as 
like unable to move well or tight or, or whatever. So, um, so I think it's a, it's an important differentiate differentiation to make in the assessment process is that, um, and I want to see people move and actually do these exercises. So I'm looking at a squat pattern. I'm looking at a hip hinge pattern. I'm looking at a push up. Um, and I, I'm sure your experience is the same as mine is not many people can walk in on day one and do a good push up, let alone 10. So, um, so that's important information for me. And then I'm, and then because I do, I do get a lot of people that come in with shoulder issues because of my past history with Cresty sports performance. And because of, you know, a lot of the stuff that I present on, um, I'm looking at, I take their shirts off and I'm looking at scapular humor rhythm. I'm looking at their shoulder flexion just to see like, are the shoulder blades moving appropriately or what, what are they doing under load as, as opposed to without load, um, and all that stuff. So, um, and I'm taking video and I'm showing people like, cause no one knows what the hell's going on in the backside of their body. So I'll have, I'll do these assessments like scapular humor rhythm and shoulder flexion and I'll show them like, this is the wacky, the wonky stuff that your shoulders are doing and we need to fix that. And then if I, and, and I, and I water it down, of course, like I try sure, not sure, to sure. talk over people's heads and, and they appreciate that. Cause I mean, how many, how many trainers or even clinicians do you think they've gone to with their shoulder issues that have a, have them take their shirts off because that, that, that alone is huge. Cause like a lot of people, and it's a, it's a, it's an arbitrary number I'm going to throw out there and there's no research like, but I'll say 99% of the time, anytime someone comes in with a shoulder issue or a rotator cuff issue, the culprit is what's not going on in the shoulder blades. Yeah. So yep. there, there's, there's some kind of asymmetry or movement that isn't happening, which is referring pain uh, to the rotator cuff. So, you know, you'd be surprised in how many people come in and I ask them, like, oh, how many people have you been to? And people that are above me as far as their expertise and their cl- their clinical experience. Like I'm not diagnosing anything. I don't, I never diagnose anything, but I can look at movement yep. and I have them take their shirt off and they're like, I was like, has anyone ever showed you that like your right shoulder blade doesn't upperly rotate and that it's not doing this and not doing that? And they're like, no, they never said that. Um, so, and, and I'm, that just dumbfounds me <laughs> and I, and I'm just a strength coach. Right. And um, so I look at stuff like that and it's just, I'm building a rapport and, you know, and if, and a lot, I'm a big fan of testing and retesting. So if I see, um, a lack of range of motion on something, let's say, uh, their squat pattern or, or their shoulder flexion pattern, you know, I'll have, I'll do some positional breathing drills or do some PNF patterns or yeah. just coach them up and just see what <clears throat> sticks as far as helping them get, either more range of motion or pain-free range of motion. And if I can do that in session one, like they're, they're in, like I, there's really not much more I need to do to sell them on, 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 on hiring me to write their programs and to coach them further. So, um, and that's exactly what my goal is for any assessment is a show them success. If they're injured, like show them pain-free movement, whether it's a lower back issue, a knee issue, whatever, show them that they can still train and then they and that they can be successful with it, and that to me is the key of any assessment. Yeah, I think so too. There's a couple of key things you hit on in there. I think coaching through the motion of of almost any exercise. I mean, you know, when somebody comes in and they, you, most of the time, I won't even have them attempt a push up if it's if mm-hmm. they're if they're under trained. Okay, if they're like a deconditioned sure. person, yeah. they're they're not going to you know attempt something like that unless like there's an incline. My dog's attacking me. I'm trying to get him to stop. Knock it off. So no, he, he's going. Dex, go on. All right, I I can probably edit that out. All right, so uh, no one cares. We're, we're, we're all good. This all is right. un, this is uncensored. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> so coaching through the motion, 
I like to take that into, especially like a body weight squat or something like that. If I can get people to understand and how to correct themselves, you know, then that's going to, obviously that's going to help me as a coach, as, sure. as, a, as a trainer going through, but that's also going to, it's going to get their cueing a little bit better. It's going to get that, um, I mean, for a lack of a, a better term, it's going to kind of embed the code in their movement pattern mm-hmm. because that's basically what you're dealing with anyway. You're trying to un, you're trying to dig up the code that they've already set. Like you're exactly. talking about, you know, the scapular retraction, depression, all of those ranges of motion that we look at. All of those things are already embedded from you know age like 12 or 13 on. And if you're dealing with somebody in their 50s, that's a long time that you have to decode all of that. Mm-hmm. So and, and that, that's an important point too, Eric, because yeah. I'm trying to figure out what their default motion is. Like I'm try I try not to coach them up to begin with. I'm like, I, I just say do this. I'll yes. demonstrate. Right. And then I try to I say do this. I watch them do it. And then even even the, the next important question is where did you feel that? Or does this hurt? Yeah. Uh, and then I and if they're doing if they're doing a squat and they feel it in their shoulders, then I'm like, okay, well we're 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 missing something here. Like, okay, yeah. we're not supposed to necessarily feel it there, or or if something hurts, and of course you need to fix that. And yep. you know, I can tell you right now that someone is feeling a squat in their knees. I could just all I have to do is tell them, okay, learn a more active foot position. Like let's let's evenly distribute your weight here. Push your knees out. You know, brace your abs. Now, as you sit down, just push your knees out and almost inevitably, like knee pain's gone, right? So even something like that is like, I didn't coach them up too much, but enough for them to feel like, oh, wow, like that doesn't hurt anymore. So this guy must know what he's doing about it. And all I did, all I really did was, you know, tell him to push their knees out and like brace harder. (laughs) And and, it's not profound, but. And you helped them. So yeah, yeah, so then everything else that goes along with that's going to come in too. So even like the. Do you find you brought up kind of like uh, you know referring pain? Um, I find that when I'm dealing with people who have maybe like sharp pain in in their neck, you know, behind their neck, their shoulder blades, their their trap area, we start working on their pecs, like the mm. exact opposite area. It's almost. Yeah. It, I mean, it's they'll even say, "Wow, I can't believe," but I, you know, the pain's back here. And we spend some time, a few sessions, give them homework to do, start working on their pecs a little more, start opening up that shoulder girdle a little more in the front. And they come back in, and next thing you know, they're like, "Yeah, I'm not having that pain anymore." Yeah, we didn't, we didn't even touch the the shoulder, the yeah, shoulder blade. Happens all the time, all, all the, the time. time, right? Even uh, even just like working on a a cleaner breathing pattern where they're not using those those accessory breathing mm-hmm. muscles, yeah. upper traps, scalenes, sternocleidomastoid, all those muscles. They they tend to be like shoulder breathers. Yeah. Uh, even something as 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 simple as that, um, and, and teaching them how to breathe. Uh, more effectively mm-hmm. um, or efficiently, I should say, uh, that that has a, a, a long-reaching effect too. So, I mean, there's there's, I mean, that's what that's what it is. That's really what it's. It's a little bit of trial and error assessment, and yes. just trying to figure out what corrective sticks. And um, if something doesn't work, that's cool. Like then you just move on to the next one. And if that sticks, cool. If it doesn't, then move on to the next one. You, I mean, if something eventually is going to work. Yeah. Uh, and then it's, it's just a matter. Way. And then it's just a matter of then consistency um, over time. And, over time. And, yep. and, and, and that's another thing that could be another discussion down the road possibly. But it's just that whole idea of exercise variety. Um, I hate that for, for most beginners because uh, they, they don't need novelty. They need simple and they need to be consistent with the simple stuff. Oh, say but it. Say it, me, again. say it again. They need simple. <laughs> yes. Um, what, what, what most people lack isn't novelty. It's lack of mastery. 
So yeah. the reason why they suck at everything is because they never stick to anything long enough to actually get good at it. So, um, you know, and I am, I'm old school. So it's squat, hip hinge, carry, row, push, single yes. leg, core, yep. um, you know, and the people do not need as much variety as they think they need. No, they don't. They need, they need the base, they need repetition. And, oh, you know, so it's not uncommon for me to write a program for people, which, you know, each month, like there's going to be subtle differences and nuances in their programming. But I mean, it's not uncommon for me to keep a gobble squat in there for three months and I might just progress the gobble squat and there, and it's not, and there's always going to be a deadlift variation. There's always right. going to be a rowing variation. Right. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really all about, it's more about attendance like the real, the real um, marker of a successful program for any program is people showing up and, and their attendance. Like if they, if they show up um, and they have perfect attendance or 90% attendance, whatever number we want to put on there, that is the real, uh, what's the word? That's the real um, uh, test of a, of a successful program. Yeah. It's just, it's just showing up. I, there's nothing I feel like I feel like someone just played a recording of myself to me yeah. because the whole seriously the whole the whole <laughs> simple it doesn't have to be that hard oh. and you could, you could pull it apart just by saying like how much has our body evolved in the past like 10,000 years like it's pretty yeah. much been the same the same movements the same motions like that's why we change things up with tempo pace repetition you know, when people like, I think this is kind of funny, maybe I'm getting off track here, but when people kind of say, you know, I'm looking for something new and different, what do you know about kettlebells? I'm like, well, I, first of all, I know kettlebells are not new and different. <laughs> yeah, they've been around a lot longer than you think they have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I think the first reference of a dumbbell was like in the 1600s. You know what I mean? Like, if, yeah. like these things are the newest things a machine. You know, if you want to do new and different, let's tr let's try let's try some machines. And I'm a big advocate of using machines. I'm a big advocate of using a lot of different tools that sure. make sense for that individual. Yeah, and I'm not into like big and flashy. All my clients will tell you that, but it's it's like a, I don't know, man. It's it's almost like a a true as much information as we have available. We have a true dumbing down of our profession, and mm -hmm. it really like I'll start getting heated and like my heart rate's going like through the roof right now. But I start I start getting like pissed because it's just when people come in, they're like, you know, they'll they'll tell me take me through a full body workout, and I'll I will I'm like well, okay, coming to me for help, but all right. So you explain to me what a full body workout looks like. And then they're like, well, that's your job, your job to know that. I'm like, right. So let me take you through that. <laughs> don't like try to describe, you know, a, a full kettlebell workout as a whole yeah. full body workout. Like don't, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I don't really know where I was going with that, but I need to rant apparently. So yeah, it, it but it's, it's it, I don't know. It, it's like just people's attention spans are very limited nowadays. So it's I like, hate, what's, I even what's hate new and flashy? I even hate yeah. saying that because it's like giving people an excuse. Like this attention attention span bullshit. Like, look, if you're coming to somebody for help, like, trust them enough to that they're they're gonna do what they know how to do. Sure. You know, and then if you know after after a proven given amount of time, three to six months, if you haven't seen results that you that you're looking for, if you're not moving better, you're not feeling better, you're not living better, you look feel perform worse, then maybe it's time to move on and look for something yeah. different. But if and, you don't, but, if you can't do that. I mean, unfortunately, there aren't many people that have access to trainers like you and I or coaches like you and I. Sure. Like that's unfortunately that's the um, the nature of the beast with this industry is yeah. there are it is a low level or low barrier to entry, yeah. and there are a lot of crappy trainers out there doing you know stuff that looks cool and new and innovative and like new. 
And um, I know I used that word twice, I think, but that's okay. Um, but uh, you know, and people are are intrigued by that. And I think any anyone who d- who do it does well in this industry, whether it be monetarily or um, or just the number of people they train or anything like that, I think those are the ones that get that it's, it's really does, it really comes down to getting really good at coaching the basics. Because then, yes. if you can, if look for example, if you can get people to to dominate their hip hinge, like that opens up such a bigger exercise toolbox that you can use that you can pretty much program anything you want from there. Like if they yeah. if they crush that hip hinge, then that just opens up everything. But they need to do that first. Yeah. Right. They don't need like to me the first progression of a hip hinge is not a kettlebell, a shitty kettlebell swing that looks no like way. a squat. Right. So right. um but unfortunately there aren't there's just yeah it's 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 you know, whether we want to call it like the social media age where it's like people think that because someone has a lot of followers and a lot of likes and, you know, they look good, that, that they must know what they're doing. And right. unfortunately, that's not the case. And it's just a matter of, you know, trial and error on their end. Like, if they're not getting results with somebody, then it's kind of move on. But I, yeah. I think people have a hard time differentiating that because they, they've never experienced uh, someone like you or I coaching them. Because that happens all the time. Like, people have worked with numerous trainers before they've gotten to me. And after, a, I, I, and it's a very, very high compliment that I get. It's, it's kind of the highest compliment I can receive is when someone comes in after one or two or three sessions and they're like, like, I can really feel a difference in how you coach and like it makes sense and, you know, things are starting to click and like that is so cool to hear. Definitely. Um, but then it's very unfortunate because I'm like, man, like, how much money do they spend in this joker of a trainer that they worked with be- before um, and they not, they didn't get anything accomplished, um, which is unfortunate, but you know, it's just, an, again, it's the nature of the beast of the industry. Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest compliments that I can receive from a client is a referral. That if, too. If, yeah. If they a hundred percent. And I, I know, you know, it's true too, but a hundred percent, if, if, if someone that you've been coaching for, uh, six to eight months, you know, a year, and all of a sudden you get three more people that they trust to bring to you. Yep. I mean, I don't know what else. I mean, they could tell me till they're blue in the face that they love me, they love what I do, they love working with me, and I'll tell them right back I, exactly the same thing. I love what you're doing. I love what you. Thanks for the effort you bring in. I 100% mean it. But if they tell like a, their best friend for 50 years, hey, you got to go see Eric. Oh my. I mean, I don't know. Very that, true. That's just well, like, there's it's that. unbelievable. There's that, which is a high compliment. And then obviously if they compliment your bicep peak, that's very cool too. No, there's no doubt about so. it. Yeah, if they, if, they, <laughs> if they say something about my calf muscles in particular, yeah, yeah. Like, then like, wow, look at I, I can't believe how many striations you have. Yeah. Your if legs you look like a free road... training session. Like... Yeah, your, le- your legs look like a road map. <laughs> like, you know what? I'm training you for a, a, a month free. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, look, um, you know, there's – I mean, we could go into – and go down all sorts of different roads, but you know, if let, let's, I kind of want to wrap things up a little bit, but, uh, tell people like if they were, if they were to, since we talked a lot about coaching and what to look mm-hmm. for in a good coach, if, if you were to tell someone, here are some things to look for in a good strength, strength and conditioning program or a good coach or a good personal trainer, what would yeah. you leave them with? Well, I think, uh, you know, if you are seeking out a personal trainer, or coach, I've the things that I would look for would be: Do they actually do an assessment um, that is, that that isn't just showing me how to put pins into a machine? Like, do are they actually legitimately looking at your movement quality? Are they taking notes when they do that? Uh, are they asking you questions? Are they are are they making it about you or are they making it about them? Right. Like they they should be making it about you, asking yeah. you questions, like trying to peel back the onion a little bit. 
Um, you know, and they should be to me, like, I feel like the more hands on in a non creepy way that a, that a trainer or coach is the better. Like they, that isn't to say that they're, they're spewing out a million and one different cues, but they're paying attention. It's personal training. Like, yes. And that, and that they're not just, you know, uh, looking at the clock or talking about this or that or not paying it like they should be it should be about you um, that and then obviously I mean yeah and I think the obvious one is like are they certified but uh, that I think that goes without saying um, but those those would kind of be like the big ones that I would look for if I were somebody like trying to differentiate a per, this personal trainer from that personal trainer that that's kind of the stuff that I would that I would look for and then I think word of mouth too like I think you hit it on the head with referrals and stuff like that like yeah. if you if they have friends or colleagues or family members that really like the coach that they're working with, then I think that's a that's an easy home run right there. Definitely. The only thing that I would probably uh, take out of that is the the certification piece. Because yeah. Like when I ask, you know, like when I ask some clients, because they've asked me, like, "Oh, who are you certified?" I'm like, "I'm not." You know, I I have degrees in it, but more importantly, I've had really, really, I've had you know, ten years worth of of expertise in the business like i've been That's doing true. it for a long time and Very i and true. i have like great mentors mentors are people who you who you can like latch onto and who help mold you and grow you because i mean you know out of the top quote unquote top 10 um uh certifications i mean if i say you know issa or ncsa or nsca they, I mean, you know, they're not going to know the difference. They're just going to know sure. I have a piece of paper. But I'm not point. saying they're. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying that. But you know, that's. I mean, that'd probably be the last thing on my list if I were to tell somebody. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a very, very fair point, and I, I think I would agree with you in that experience is going to trump yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. letters next to somebody's name. Yeah. Because uh, there are many shitty trainers that have letters next to their names. So of course, but you know, I think I was just staying in the context of like you know. Ha, they have hopefully some level of, of, of education yes. and, uh, and movement, but you're, you're 100% spot on. I could, that, I, I definitely do agree with that. Well, and, and, and another benefit to, to, uh, having a certification is they, if to, to maintain that certification, you have to go back and get CEUs, yeah. which is continuing education. Yeah. If that person is taking it seriously and not just waiting to the last minute and taking a bunch of bullshit courses from like the YMCA, no offense, YMCA, but you know, let's, I mean, let's be real. Like there are some people who, who teach CEUs and who are extremely credible and yeah. uh, and you are actually learning valuable information with that. And then there's other people that just do it because they know it's a money-making uh, gauntlet, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, if a person does have um, their their certification, then great. Like, hopefully they had good back-end uh, training with, with someone also, not just, Correct. you know, a, a 24-hour online certification because they're out and, there like that and, brings up a good point too i remember i think i forget which publication it asked me to contribute to it but they they kind of asked me a similar question like oh what do you what would you think would be the requirements for when people are seeking out a a reputable or good personal trainer what should they ask what questions should they ask yep. and i think one of the questions i i said it in a snarky way but i, I was kind of being serious was like ask them name na- ask them to name four rotator cuff muscles <laughs> <laughs> If they can't name the four rotator cuff muscles, then you should not be training with them. <laughs> like, I mean, because that's that's the, like basic one on one personal training one on one. Like, if they if they can't tell you what those are, that that's a major red flag. <laughs> yeah, especially especially if you're like, especially if you're a person. I mean, well, I don't know, but yeah, should, I, but I, I just, think it just speaks to like you know. I think anatomy is important. Definitely. Um, I mean, but then it it goes it goes 
further than just knowing insertions and origins and actions. Like, yeah, I know functional anatomy, and then you got to know how to be able to assess movement. And um, so, yeah, the rotator cuff, like I said, I was being snarky with it, but I, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? That How much of a curveball would that be if some random person walked up like was being inter- like we got matched up with some personal trainer as like a complimentary training yeah, session. And they're like, hey. And they're asking questions, like, oh, so what do you do? Like, what <laughs> yeah, you know, can you can you name the four rotator cuff muscles? And then which ones externally rotate the humerus? Oh, and then they're probably, oh, uh, uh. <laughs> I know I just think that'd be kind of- I just think that'd be kind of funny to witness. Like, I know it looks I'm- like an upside down fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, that's I no. I I I've, I I wrote an article for a, a Cincinnati magazine, kind of the the similar thing, you know. And I don't, I don't even think I brought up the certification thing, but I, I did think, you know, number one, like you know, walking into a gym and having their um, their t- everything being focused on them, and and you hit it on the head, like it's, I call it, you know, it's personal training with me, it's coaching, call it whatever you want to call it, but if you're not getting the full attention. You know, and, and, okay. And, and, you know, maybe I'm, I'm, I fall prey to this a lot, but you know, if I have my cell phone out during an appointment, you better damn believe it's, it's like, it's super important. Like my, yeah. my, it, it's going to be, it's not like me checking, you know, MLB scores or something like that. It's yeah. going to be, yep. it's like a dire need. Hey, excuse me. I have to take this call. Otherwise, yeah. yep. otherwise we're going to be face to face and we're talking and coach you through the motion. So it, it's like. You got to be comfortable. You've you've got to give it your all as a coach. And if you're not, then it's going to show by by uh, how many people you're working with and the quality of people you're working with. And in, I mean, that's mic drop. Yeah, I yeah. Let's end it there. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. But, but I okay, only say well, that because I'm at, I'm hungry and I want to go eat there. Fair Come enough, on. man. All right, fine. <laughs> I'm God, just playing. Bless. I'm just Jeez. playing. <laughs> God, I thought you were on a fasting protocol. Okay, so. All right, man. Well, hey, um, before we before I do let you go, if anybody else has any questions, comments, concerns, where is the best place to reach you? Uh, my website, which would be my name, TonyJohnCore.com. Uh, that's home base. That's all my articles. That's okay. social media, uh, links to podcasts, everything. So that that would be home base for me. Perfect. Awesome. Well, you heard it, folks. Well, hey, Tony, I appreciate the time again, man. We'll talk soon. Yeah, that was awesome, Eric. We'll talk soon. <laughs>